If, if you're new or maybe you've been out for a couple weeks, we just dove into the book of, of 1 Timothy. Um, we have uh, just started. We've got probably about four months in it. It should be an exciting and encouraging time in this book. But I wanted to, to dive in and just before we get to the text, just kind of refresh your memory or set the stage for you of, of what we discussed last week. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to Timothy whom he left in the, in the city of, of Ephesus to continue on with the, the mission work that he was doing there. And Paul chose to, to begin this letter to Timothy, not with some extended greeting or kind of dancing around the subject. He kind of gets to the, the heart and the meat of what he wants to tell Timothy about in this letter pretty quickly. And so what we saw last week was not, him not wasting time or mincing words, but wanted to remind Timothy of what needs to be done by issuing this warning right out of the gate. And so what we see at the beginning of 1 Timothy, what we covered last week, was a warning against these false teachers who had so often plagued the city of Ephesus. These men who had come and had begun to, to add things to the gospel— these religious requirements and, and rules and making the gospel really just a showpiece and, and devoid of any purpose or power. And so you see, they spent all their time, that's what we went over last week, the spending all this time on, on vain discussions about myths and genealogies and just spinning their wheels, these false teachers. So that's what we saw last week, and that's precisely why Paul was so keen to leave Timothy in Ephesus, because this had been such a problem. He had wanted Timothy to stay behind, and he says to, to take charge and to charge these men not to teach things that don't agree with the gospel of Jesus. And so we have a, a, a warning issued at the beginning of last week. And then the section we're about to dive into today is almost an aside. Like he says, these things about these, these teachers, these false teachers, and he goes in, into this aside about the law and the goodness of the law. And uh, he, he makes this statement so that Paul can more clearly define the nature of what these false teachers are doing. And so that's what we're going to look at today is this aside. And full disclosure, I'm, I'm teaching and preaching next week as well. And it's literally another aside. Like Paul, Paul goes from like, here's the false teachers. And he says, okay, but here's this about them. And then he turns around and says, okay, now here's this about this. So he, he has an aside to his own aside. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And it's no wonder why even, even Peter in the New Testament says that Paul is sometimes hard to follow. Um, but we're going we're gonna to pick up there. I just wanted to set the stage for a minute and kind of review where we're at in this letter to Timothy. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into the Word this morning. Gracious Father, we thank you for your Word as we open it. Let us see you more clearly. Let us understand our own sinfulness more deeply and our need for you more truly. Father, bless this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so for the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. And it says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of our blessed God, to which I have been entrusted. So those are the words that Paul has for for Timothy this morning and for us this morning. And as we begin, we see that Paul needed to remind Timothy that the law is good. Now, apparently, these false teachers had been teaching quite, quite the opposite. You see, in their, in their vain discussions, they were discussing the, the goodness and usefulness of, of the law itself. They were so wrapped up in theories and myths about what signs would follow what world events that they forgot to actually, the, the, they forgot that the law was actually from God and was good. But this is what Paul is saying here right at the beginning. The law is good, and you can see that throughout all of Scripture. That's the the verses we read this morning. In Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The precepts of the Lord are good, rejoicing the heart. And you see, the Psalms are, are full of these kind of statements about the beauty and the perfection of the law and how good it is for us. And that's an odd statement, right? Doesn't that seem a little bit odd just to hear it roll off the tongue? Like nobody's going to go, the state of Texas has some great laws. That federal government, the laws of Washington are good reviving the soul. That sounds weird, right? There is something inherently different when it comes to the law of God. The law of God is good because it comes from God and it is good when it is used in the way that God intended. That's why our text says this this morning. It says, the law is good provided it is used lawfully. So what does that mean? provided it is used lawfully. You would think the law, can you use the law in lawfully? That doesn't make sense. Unlawfully? Now, it would be easy to dive deep here and go overly technical and pull out some Greek and some Hebrew and spend our whole time in the Old Testament exploring and, and defining uh, and trying to match up in, in, a, in a very technical way. Using And you could even look at it in using each of these categories of sinful behavior that Paul just listed out for us in the, in the text below. But I think it would be wandering off from, uh, from what we need to be doing and wandering into exactly the kind of behavior that Paul is warning us and writing to Timothy about. Instead of seeing what God is trying to communicate to us, we are, we are becoming wrapped up in, in the minutiae of, well, what does this mean? Well, what does this mean? Well, if you put it in the Greek, what does this mean? And then you have all these things play together. together. But what I want to do, in, instead of just diving deep, is just have a, a rumination, a stirring on what it means, this question, what is the law used for? What is the useful, the lawful use of the law? So that's where I want to spend our time this morning. So, first of all, the lawful 
use of the law is that it exposes and restrains sin. So you see that in verse 9, right? Let's look at verse 9. It says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy, the profane, those who strike their father and mother. And he goes on and on and all. And he ends with, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You see, the law exposes sin because it defines it and confronts it. Paul asks the question in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, why the law? It was added because of transgression. You see, the law exposes our sin by defining them, by giving them name, by calling them evil and sinful. So this last week, uh, as, as an example, this last week I was driving down from Fort Worth. I dropped my daughter off to babysit uh, some of her cousins in Fort Worth, and I was driving back, and there is like the never-ending construction on, night, uh, on 45. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because if you've ever been on that road, you know what I'm talking about. Um, th there was that, that section, and they had all the lanes closed but one, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out the speed limit. Like, I had no idea what the speed limit was for miles. And there weren't many cars, because I was on the road a little early trying to get back here. I had no idea what time, or what the speed limit was. The few cars that were there, I'm going to be honest, I was passing, so I don't know. I felt like 75 was the right number, right? 75 feels like the right number. Some, some of you are like, we now worry about John. No, uh, 75 feels like the right number. It's a state highway in Texas. I figured this will be good. It's, it's 75. And so I'm cruising along, zip, 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 and I come across the sign finally. It was 55. <laughs> Not 75. I was speeding, but the only way that I knew I was speeding was that there was a sign telling me what the law was. And clearly, I was speeding. I was speeding before I saw the sign. But nevertheless, the law was made known to me. And clearly, I was breaking it. You see, I knew I was a lawbreaker because the law had made it known to me. This is what Paul is saying here and consistently throughout the New Testament. The, the lawful use of the law is to expose sin because it names sin as exactly that, sin. You see, the law of God, uh, in the law of God, our sin operates, like John Calvin says, as a mirror. It reflects back only our sin and brokenness and complete lack of holiness. Brothers and sisters, you see, the, the false teachers in Ephesus were not using the law lawfully. They were not using it to expose and confront the sin in their own heart. Instead, these men were using it to judge others and to condemn those that they would or would not have fellowship with. To them, the law was merely a speculative matter. They saw it and said, I am holy. How can I apply this to others? It was to them, do this, receive that. Be this or don't be that, and good things will happen to you. 
It is speculative to them. And that is what they are, they are breeding in the church of Ephesus. They are saying, look, the law is merely meant to condemn others. But Paul reminds us here that the proper and lawful use of the law does not and is not clouded with speculation, but it confronts our sinfulness. If we are sinful, then the law will expose it, which you are, and it does. That's why the Bible can be so offensive to people, because it does not gloss over or hide what is sinful. It makes no excuses for it. It only brings to light and exposes sin like a mirror reflects the truth. The mirror of God's law reflects the truth that all have sinned. And so we would do well, brothers and sisters, in Christ to stop and to reflect on how we are using the law. Are we like these false teachers scouring the Old Testament, looking looking for what we can use to justify ourselves, trying to match prophecies and visions in the Old Testament with current events and headlines, or looking for condemning passages about the sin that you recently saw that a former friend or coworker did on Facebook, and you're ready to point it out to them. Guys, are we, are we using the law to expose our own sin? Or are we using the law to try and condemn the world around us? Are we doing these things instead of reading God's law and letting it sink into our own hearts and convict us of the sin that we have? The law of God is a mirror for his people not a weapon to be fired at other men. So the law exposes ungodliness, but it also restrains it. Paul reminds us in the text this morning that the law was given for lawless and disobedient people, and it was given as a reminder of the punishment of breaking God's law. You see, God's laws, God's revealed law in the Old Testament gives us every kind of punishment for those who break his commandments. For example, in Exodus, you can see everything from if you enslave others, you will be put to death, to the other side, which is if you borrow a man's colt or donkey and it dies, you have to repay him in full. Like there is, every kind of sin is covered, and if you want to explore that, just open to literally any page of Leviticus and have fun. The, the law is used to expose ungodliness, but it also restrains it. Like I said, the list goes on and on. God's Word shows us lots of different punishments for lawbreakers and sinfulness. And here, in the, the text we read this morning, Paul lists several different kinds of sinfulness in people. 
in everything, from, from the profane and the unholy to those who strike at their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for, for enslavers and liars, for those who practice homosexuality. It is every kind of sin. And just to cover his bases, he says, and at the end, whatever else accords with sound doctrine. Or I'm sorry, is contrary to sound doctrine. Not accords with. That'd be different. You see, these punishments that are listed in the Old Testament, that are listed in this, are for the purpose of deterrence. As a way to warn people that they will suffer, that suffering will happen if God's law is disobeyed. And we see these punishments, and, and, and they are given as an, an incentive not to break the law. This is the same way, and if you have children, uh, you may understand this, or one time you were a child, you may understand this, that they are given rules and then disciplined when they are broken as a way to remind them of the requirements of the rules of the house. You see, the law restrains sin through people's general fear of punishment. There's almost an understanding, universal understanding of some of God's laws. Almost instinctively, it's written on the hearts of people. The world seems to know that certain actions are bad and come with consequences. Like, for most of the world, people are not good with murdering. Like, that's a universal thing. I'm sure you can make some exceptions, but then just apply it to the person making that exception, and those exceptions go away. They don't want to be murdered. Most people have an understanding that murder is not good, and they're going to have a problem with it. And like I said, it may not be as much of a problem for some as for others, but regardless of time, location, language, or even the people's relative isolation, everyone understands that certain laws have consequences. And that exists to restrain evil just for the common grace of society. Romans 1.18 reminds us that this has been revealed to everyone. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, all men are under the wrath of God. All people are under the wrath of God. And all are under the punishment of God's law for breaking it. So there is at this some general restraint, at least of sinfulness externally, right? Because there is punishment externally for, for sins committed that way, but not for the internal sins. And... <clears throat> And even then, it, it, it does not have the power to remove this. Even in the external restraint of sin, it is not the power to remove sin, but merely to restrain it with the threat of discipline. So the law of God confronts sin, exposes it, restrains it. And we see that the law of God, when lawfully used, leads to repentance. It leads to Jesus. Look at verse 11, and this is, verse 11 and verse 8 kind of pick up on one another because in the middle of this aside is another aside, right? He's, he's giving, giving his example. It's like a, 
you know, like one of those like trees you can click in and just like open another sub email, uh, those kind of things. But what we see here is in verse 8 and 11. Now we know that the law is good provided it is used lawfully in accordance with the gospel of the glory of our blessed God. In accordance with the gospel means that the lawful use of God's law only happens when the working of the Spirit when the working of the Spirit in the hearts of those who hear the law, the Spirit speaks through the law and reveals our sin and leads us to repentance. And as I was thinking about this this week, literally the storybook Bible popped into my head. Do you guys know the storybook Bible? If you have children, you probably read it too there. There is a story, and I'm, yes, I'm quoting the storybook Bible, but it's actually the Bible this is from this, so yeah, be excited. Um, there's a story in the storybook Bible about uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. If you guys remember that, if you want to flip back, you can, or just mark it for later. Uh, in Nehemiah's chapter 7 through 10, and then Ezra chapter 8 tells this, this same story. But what you have happening back then is a perfect illustration of this. You have the people of God in exile. Right? You, have, you have in Babylonia, in captivity, there is some remnant that remained in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, but you have this remnant that has been removed. And then King Darius or King Cyrus, I forget which now, says, okay, I understand who your God is. You may go and restore the walls of your kingdom and rebuild the temple. And so Nehemiah leads a group of people and they go back. But this had been years in exile years away from the kingdom, years away from the law of God. And it was not known to the people. And so when they got back and they, they did these things, the, the law became known to, to Jeremiah even more. And he brought in Ezra and he said, Ezra, read the law to these people. So all the people were gathered in, in Israel, gathered and heard the law. Ezra, Ezra spoke it. And it says this, it says, when he began to read to the people God's law, it says in chapter 8 of Nehemiah that Ezra read, and the people were, were attentive, they were transfixed by the law, and they began to weep and to mourn, to uh, tears of frustration, of sorrow, because they heard the law of God for the first time, and it exposed their sinfulness. It convicted them. They stood condemned and did not know it. But on hearing the law, it was exposed to them. They knew they were guilty and sinful, and they heard and knew the punishment for law-breaking, and they wept. So Nehemiah and Ezra reminded them. Not just of the law that condemns, but the promises of God found in Scripture. That he has made a covenant with his people and that God is a faithful God 
So instead of weeping and mourning, he said, go and prepare. We are going to celebrate the Feast of the Booths and dwell together, and we will rejoice and celebrate. And it led to, if you look in chapter 10, it led to not a hardening of heart, but confession of sin and repentance and renewal of the covenant that God had made with his people long ago. These people said, we will because you are a faithful God. We repent and we will follow your, law, your call in our lives and your lead in our lives. So they confessed their sin and renewed their covenant with God. When confronted with the law of God, it should lead us to repentance because the law of God reflects the truth about ourselves and our sinfulness which is then used by the Holy Spirit to drive us to Jesus that we might be justified by faith alone. This is what Paul is saying at the end of chapter 3 in Galatians. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law is good when it is used in accordance with the gospel of the glorious God because the law in itself is limited. It can expose sin. And it can show us our need for Jesus. But it cannot give us the faith to hold, lay hold of our Savior. So instead, brothers and sisters, it's not by the law we are justified and thereby clinging to Christ, but rather it is by faith in Christ we are, ju we are justified and able to live in obedience to his commands. And so we're left with this question, how, as Christians, how ought we to use the law? Not as a means of salvation, not as a means of justification. That was the error of these Ephesian false teachers, right? Who were so excited to condemn others and justify themselves by the law, only to find themselves already condemned under it. But that is not how we are to use the law, not like these men. Instead, we who have been justified by faith in Jesus ought to use the law of God as a guide for holy living, it exposes sin, and by it we cling to Jesus as our salvation. And then we can return to the law and use it as a guide for holy living. Paul, in, in verse 5, reminds Timothy that the aim of their charge is love. And through the keeping of the law, we are loving our neighbors. And Romans 13 reminds us that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we who are in Christ ought to use the law of God as a guide for holy living. The law on its own is limited and can, cannot show us every way that we are to fulfill this principle of love. So you see, we must, as, as men and women of God, as followers of Christ, must sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to apply the law of love.
And this is basically all of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So just for the sake of your time and your Sunday afternoon, we're not going to flip there, but just jot it down. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you pick up in 17, that's where he begins to say, I have not come to abolish the law, but to complete it, to fulfill it. And so he goes on from there. And so we must sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to apply the law of love. So imagine, and not, not to quote John Lennon, but um, imagine for a moment that if you are rooted in Christ, out of love and faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, truly we were to love our neighbors, truly love them, with the love with which Christ first loved us. That is the charge that Timothy has been given. That's the charge that we have been given. To love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. What would it look like if you did that? I can tell you this, most of the, the whining we do on a daily basis would stop. I feel like so much of our lives has become about what bothers us. I feel like social media does a great job of exposing that, right? Like we get on social media to tell, us what, tell others what we don't like or to post pictures of grandchildren, but that's like the two things. <clears throat> so much of our daily lives has become about what and who bothers us. But instead, imagine if we just applied the charge that has been given to us to love with a pure heart and sincere faith. What if you stopped using the law to pour out our own condemnation? Not the condemnation of Jesus Christ, not the condemnation of the law, but our own condemnation. What if we stopped using the law of God to pour out our own condemnation on other people, but instead used it as a way to draw love and show love to one another? And this might be the net message that we need to hear, Christian. Uh, the law of God was not made for you to wield like a whip and condemn the world around you. Instead, it was uh, a way to guide us in love, to draw us away from selfishness and draw us to Jesus. So as we reflect on, on, on these false teachers that, that Paul is warning Timothy about, and the improper use of the law, my, my challenge to you, brothers and sisters, would be, how does the world around you know you? Do they know you by the fruit that you produce? D does your, is your fruit rotten? Does it stink of self-righteousness and pride? The law of God leads us to love one another. That's why, that's why the psalmist can say that, right? The, the, the verses we read in Psalm this morning. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's how he gets there. And what I really like is, and this is not in my notes, but if you look down at the bottom of Psalm 19, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. He just got done declaring how the, the heavens declare the majesty of God. 
The whole earth is crying out the glory of God. And then he talks about how the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. And from that, that rumination on the law being perfect and good and useful and clean, he goes into a confession of sin. Right? That's how it ends. It says, And who can discern his error? Declare me innocent, O God, of hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over me, lest... Uh, so I shall then be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. And so even in the Old Testament, you see that the law, the beauty of the law is to lead us to repentance, to confession of our need for a Savior. So my question is, what if the law of God led us to love one another? Again, the, the law of the Old Testament is by its nature limited. It is unable to show us each and every way we must obey the principles of love. And so our call is to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and learn from his perfect love. And we do that by, by opening his word. Through prayer and through gathering together. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, it is just time for us to sit at the foot of the cross, to open the word, and learn from Christ. Now, this message may be hard for you this morning. Perhaps you're still annoyed that the Bible would dare call out your sin, right? How dare they tell me what's sin in my life? But that is the law of God. It confronts and it calls out sin for what it is. So by it, not that you would be condemned, but that you would look into that mirror and see the sin and selfishness and brokenness and see your need for a Savior. To save you and to pay the price that you could not pay. And so that's the reminder, right? Paul is reminding Timothy the law is good, provided it is used lawfully to expose sin, to draw us to Christ. So, Jesus is calling. He's calling the weary, the brokenhearted. Perhaps it's time that you come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for your goodness. Thank you that by it we know that you are good, that by it we know that we will never be good enough. And through your word, we have known Jesus Christ, who was our perfection when we could not be. Father, I pray for the men and women in here that know you and love you, that they would be drawn to deeper walk with you that they would confront sin in their own lives and let your word act like a mirror, that they would put to death daily the sin that is in them and seek to chase after you and your perfect love. Father, we pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen.